Section thirty of the Green Rust by Edgar Wallace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter thirty, the watch. Thanks," said Van Heerden, pocketing the ticket. "It is of no use to me now, for I cannot wait. I gather that you have not disclosed the fact that this ticket is in your possession." "I don't know how you gather that," she said lower your voice he hissed menacingly i gather as much because beale knew the ticket would not be in my possession now if he only knew if he only had a hint of its existence i fear my scheme would fail as it is it will succeed and now he said with a smile time is short and your preparations must be of the briefest i will save you the trouble of asking questions by telling you that i am going to take you along with me i certainly cannot afford to leave you get your coat with a shrug she walked past him to the bedroom and he followed are we going far she asked there was no tremor in her voice and she felt remarkably self-possessed that you will discover said he i am not asking out of idle curiosity but i want to know whether i ought to take a bag perhaps it would be better he said she carried the little attache case back to the sitting-room you have no objection to my taking a little light reading matter she said contemptuously i am afraid you are not a very entertaining companion dr van heerden excellent girl said van heerden cheerfully take anything you like she slipped a book from the shelf and nearly betrayed herself by an involuntary exclamation as she felt its weight you are not very original in your methods she said this is the second time you have spirited me off the jails of england as your new-found friend milsom will tell you are filled with criminals who departed from the beaten tracks said van heerden walk out into the corridor and turn to the right i will be close behind you a little way along you will discover a narrow passage which leads to the service staircase go down that i am sure you believe me when i say it that i will kill you if you attempt to make any signal or scream or appeal for help she did not answer it was because of this knowledge and this fear which was part of her youthful equipment for violent death is a very terrible prospect to the young and the healthy that she obeyed him at all they walked down the stone stairs through an untidy low-roofed lobby redolent of cooking food into the street without challenge and without attracting undue notice van heerden's car was waiting at the end of the street and she thought she recognized the chauffeur as bridger's once more we ride together said van heerden gaily and what will be the end of this adventure for you depends entirely upon your loyalty what are you opening your bag for he asked peering in the dark i am looking for a handkerchief said oliva i am afraid i am going to cry he settled himself back in the corner of the car with a sigh of resignation accepting her explanation sarcasm was wholly wasted on van heerden well gentlemen said milsom i don't think there's anything more i can tell you what are you going to do with me i'll take the responsibility of not executing the warrant said mcnorton you will accompany one of my men to his home to-night and you will be under police supervision that's no new experience said milsom there's only one piece of advice i want to give you and that is asked beale don't underrate van heerden you have no conception of his nerve there isn't a man of us here he said whose insurance rate wouldn't go up to ninety per cent if van heerden decided to get him 
I don't profess that I can help you to explain his strange conduct today. I can only outline the psychology of it. But how and where he has hidden his code and what circumstances prevent its recovery is known only to Van Heerden. He nodded to the little group, and, accompanied by McNorton, left the room. "'There goes a pretty bad man,' said Kitson, "'or I am no judge of character. He's an old lag, isn't he?' Beale nodded. "'Murder,' he said laconically. "'He lived after his time. He should have been a contemporary of the Borges.' "'A poisoner!' shuddered one of the undersecretaries. "'I remember the case. He killed his nephew and defended himself on the plea that the youth was a degenerate, as he undoubtedly was.' "'He might have got that defence passed in America or France,' said Beale, "'but unfortunately there was a business end to the matter. He was the sole heir of his nephew's considerable fortune, and a jury from the Society of Eugenics would have convicted him on that.' He looked at his watch and turned his eyes to Kitson. "'I presume Miss Cresswell is bored and has retired for the night?' he said. "'I'll find out in a moment,' said Kitson. "'Did you speak to her?' Beale nodded, and his eyes twinkled. "'Did you make any progress?' "'I broke the sad news to her, if that's what you mean.' "'You told her she was married to you? Good heavens! What did she say?' "'Well, she didn't faint. I don't think she's the fainting kind. She is cursed with a sense of humour, and refused even to take a tragic view.' "'That's bad,' said Kitson, shaking his head. "'A sense of humour is out of place in a divorce court, and that is where your little romance is going to end, my friend.' "'I'm not so sure,' said Beale calmly, and the other stared at him. "'You have promised me,' he began, with a note of acerbity in his voice. "'And you have advised me,' said Beale. Kitson choked down something which he was going to say, but which he evidently thought was better left unsaid. "'Wait,' he commanded. I will find out whether Miss Cresswell, he emphasized the words, has gone to bed. He passed through the door to Oliva's sitting-room and was gone a few minutes. When he came back, Beale saw his troubled face and ran forward to meet him. She's not there, said Kitson. Not in her room? Neither in the sitting-room nor the bedroom. I have rung for her maid. Oh, here you are. Prim Minnie came through the bedroom door. Where is your mistress? I thought she was with you, sir. "'What is this?' said Beale, stooped and picked up a white kid glove. "'She surely hasn't gone out,' he said in consternation. "'That's not a lady's glove, sir,' said the girl. "'That is a gentleman's.' It was a new glove, and turning it over he saw stamped inside the words, "'Glebler, Rotterdam.' "'Has anybody been here?' he asked. "'Not to my knowledge, sir. The young lady told me she did not want me any more to-night.' The girl hesitated. It seemed a veritable betrayal of her mistress to disclose such a sordid matter as the search for a pawn-ticket. Beale noticed the hesitation. "'You must tell me everything and tell me quickly,' he said. "'Well, sir,' said the maid, "'the lady came in to look for something she brought with her when she came here.' "'I remember,' cried Kitson. "'She told me she had brought away something very curious from Van Heerden's house, and made me guess what it was. Something interrupted our talk. What was it?' "'Well, sir,' said the maid, resigned. I won't tell you a lie, sir. It was a pawn-ticket. A pawn-ticket? cried Kitson and Beale in unison. Are you sure? asked the latter. Absolutely sure, sir. But she couldn't have brought a pawn-ticket from Van Heerden's house. What was it for? I beg your pardon, sir. What was on the pawn-ticket? said Kitson impatiently. What article had been pledged? Again the girl hesitated. To betray her mistress was unpleasant. 
to betray herself as she would if she confessed that she had most carefully and thoroughly read the voucher was unthinkable you know what was on it said beale in his best third-degree manner now don't keep us waiting what was it a watch sir how much was it pledged for ten shillings sir do you remember the name in a foreign name sir van horden van heerden said beale quickly and at what pawnbroker's well sir said the girl making a fight for her reputation i only glanced at the ticket and i only noticed yes you did interrupted beale sharply you read every line of it where was it rosenblaum brothers of commercial road blurted the girl any number i didn't see the number you will find them in the telephone book said kitson what does it mean but beale was halfway to kitson's sitting-room arriving there in time to meet mcnorton who had handed over his charge to his subordinate i found it cried beale found what asked kitson the code where how asked mcnorton unless i am altogether wrong the code is contained either engraved on the case or written on a slip of paper enclosed within the case of a watch can't you see it all plainly now van heerden neither trusted his memory nor his subordinates he had his simple code written as we shall find upon thin paper enclosed in the case of a hunter watch and this he pledged a pawnbroker's is the safest of safe deposits searching for clues suppose the police had detected his preparations the pledge ticket might have been easily overlooked kitson was looking at him with an expression of amazed indignation here was a man who had lost his wife and kitson believed that this young detective loved the girl as few women are loved but in the passion of the chase in the production of a new problem he was absorbed to the exclusion of all other considerations in the greater game yet he did beale an injustice if he only knew for the thought of oliva's new peril ran through all his speculations his rapid deductions his lightning plans miss cresswell found the ticket and probably extracted it as a curiosity these things are kept in little envelopes aren't they mcnorton the police chief nodded that was it then she took it out and left the envelope behind and van heerden did not discover his loss until he went to find the voucher to give milsom the code don't you remember in the first place he said he couldn't give him the code until after ten o'clock which is probably the hour the pawnbrokers open for business mcnorton nodded again then do you remember that milsom said that the code was not irredeemably lost and that van heerden knew where it was in default of finding the ticket he decided to burgle the pawnbrokers and that burglary is going through to-night but he could have obtained a duplicate of the ticket said mcnorton how asked beale quickly by going before a magistrate and swearing an affidavit in his own name said beale you see he couldn't do that it would mean walking into the lion's den no burglary was his only chance and what of oliva said kitson impatiently i tell you beale i am not big enough or stoical enough to think outside of that girl's safety beale swung round at him you don't think i've forgotten that do you he said in a low voice you don't think that has been out of my mind his face was tense and drawn i think i believe that oliva is safe he said quietly i believe that oliva and not any of us here will deliver van heerden to justice are you mad asked kitson in astonishment i am very sane come here he gripped the old lawyer by the arm and led him back to the girl's room look he said and pointed what do you mean the bookshelf beale nodded half an hour ago i gave oliva a book 
he said that book is no longer there but in the name of heaven how can a book save her demanded the exasperated kitson stanford beale did not answer yes yes she's safe i know she's safe he said if Olivia is the girl I think she is, then I see Van Heerden's finish. End of chapter 30 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com